Hello, and welcome to the Reader's Quadrant, an Empyrean podcast. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Samantha. We are doing a chapter-by-chapter reread and analysis of the Empyrean book series written by Rebecca Yaros. We do swear, and we are not spoiler-free. You have been warned. We will be discussing connections from this chapter to Iron Flame at the end of the episode. We didn't want to spoil Iron Flame for those who haven't had a chance to finish it, but we didn't want to totally ignore it either. So we're going to start with our battle brief uh, segment, which is, for those who don't know, where we're going to talk about news um, going on. So the main thing right now is there has been some issues with the release of Iron Flame. There's been a lot of misprints and like uh, spines not matching the dust covers and just all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy stuff to the point where the publisher has issued a formal apology and has stated that they are going to be working to correct the problem, although they did not say how, and they said to keep an eye on their social media for the next few weeks. Yeah, it's unclear if people are going to need to return the books with the misprints in order to get new ones, or if you'll just need to show like proof of purchase and then you'll get a new one. It It's kind of a mess right now, but I guess at least they're trying to fix it. I mean, realistically, these problems shouldn't have happened to begin with, because it's not just Iron Flame, it's also the holiday edition of Fourth Wing that is having major quality assurance issues. Yeah. Also, don't really know for sure if people will need to turn in their copy or not. And personally, I wouldn't want to. I would want to keep the misprint because, I mean, that could be worth something someday. Also, it's just, to me, it'd be kind of funny to just have on hand. Like, I have one from another book series that was a misprint where half of, like, an entire chapter was printed just upside down in the middle of the book. And so they sent me a new one, but I got to keep the old one. So I just think they're fun. Oh, well, that's cool. So the next bit of news we want to share is very exciting to us. So we released our first episode two weeks ago, and we have already hit over 450 total listens so samantha and i are super super excited about that we were not expecting i don't honestly i don't know what either of us were expecting going into this but this is much more successful than i ever thought we would be for the first two weeks so thank you so much to everyone who has listened so far we're so excited and we really hope that you liked what we've been putting out please tell your friends about the podcast if you think they'll like it if they're into fantasy or fourth wing please rate review, subscribe. Those are all things that help us get even more listens and will help us going forward to be able to produce even more contact. So thank you so much uh, from the bottom of our hearts for listening. Yeah, thank you. Like Kelsey said, we were, we didn't know we expected, but it wasn't this. We were just completely blown away. This has just been amazing, um, especially since both of us are new to the world of podcasting. We've listened to them, but never made one. So (laughs) it's just been a really great learning experience. And we're just really excited to keep bringing this uh, content to you. And please, if you have any like technical feedback or tips, like please send those our way because we still really have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Please tell us what we can do to improve. (laughs) Moving on, we're just going to do a quick little recap of what we talked about last time. So last time for chapter one, we were introduced to Violet. We learned that she has a disability and she's not going into the writer's quadrant by choice, but because her mother, the commanding general of the college, is making her. We met her mother and her sister, Mira. We learned that her dad died a year ago and her brother six years ago, which was coincided with an uprising in a province, which is how he died, in that the children of the people who were involved with that have been marked by a dragon as like a warning to everyone else. Mira helps Violet better prepare to cross the parapet into the writer's quadrant and warns her to avoid Zayden Rearson since he will want to kill her on sight. Violet befriends Rhiannon as she enters the quadrant, doesn't avoid Zayden at all, sees someone fall off the parapet and die, and then begins to cross it herself. Okay, so I will be starting us off today with our chapter two deep dive. There's a misconception that it's kill or be killed in the Riders' Quadrant. Riders, as a whole, aren't out to assassinate other cadets. 
unless there's a shortage of dragons that year, or a cadet is a liability to their wing. Then things may get interesting. So that is written by Major Ephendra's Guide to the Rider's Quadrant, unauthorized edition. So I looked up the meaning of the name Ephendra, and so that actually means intuition or enlightenment, which I thought fit if, he, if they're, they're writing this yeah. book. But I also have a question for you here. Yeah. So we know how much the scribes control what people can read and what people can get their hands on. So this is an unauthorized edition of the Guide to the Writer's Quadrant. Do you think everyone has access to this, or is this something special that Violet just has? Well, we don't even know if Violet has this. Honestly, we don't know who has this to get it in here. I mean, just any of us, because this is her writing. But I think that maybe it's a text that maybe just kind of gets passed around, um, kind of like Cliff Notes back in the day. Mm. And so I don't think it would be in the archives um, because of that. Which is interesting. So why would Jesenia choose to include that in this? Well, I think... I don't know. I think with relation to this chapter, I think it's kind of used to show Jack's yeah brutality get rid of the people that he views as a liability and we also know that Mm -hmm. there is a shortage of dragons because fewer and fewer dragons are willing to bond each year yeah it is kind of funny to me because they say riders aren't out to assassinate unless there's a shortage of dragons or the cadet is a liability so like honestly they really are out to assassinate because it seems to me that over the last however many years there definitely has been a shortage of dragons and there is always going to be someone that they consider a liability yeah um, one thing I just want to note too, it's Major Ephendra, which that name just to me reminds me of the Mexican ofrendas, which is like the, the altars for that the they day put, of the yeah, dead. Yes, the altars that they put the pictures on and whatnot for uh, Dia de los Muertos, uh, Day of the Dead. I don't know if that really has any relation to this, given the meaning of the name that you found, but it just has like a kind of a weird slant rhyme to me that I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Not funny, haha. Just funny, yeah. interesting. Well, because I mean, it also it also kind of sounds like offend. Like there's a lot of ways that you could take this particular name. Lots of different meanings. It could have very well also just be a name that Rebecca Yaros liked. I mean, who it's knows? True. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> okay, so do we start out with Violet saying, "I will not die today"? She's repeating this to herself over and over as she gets ready to cross the parapet, and we know here that. I noted that Violet can feel Zayden's stare, like, on the side of her face. She said, the hatred in Zayden's stare burns the side of my face like a palpable flame. So once again, it's just noting that, like, physical, visceral reaction that Violet has to, like, anything related to Zayden. And she just met the guy. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Rianne is actually the first one to step out onto the parapet. Um, And Violet sends up a silent prayer to... Zinal, Zinal, I'm not quite sure how to say that one. The God of Luck. So that name, I found a meaning for a similar spelling, Z-I-N-A-L. It's a loving and beautiful person, which I think fits with the with the God of Luck. Although luck can be cruel, too. So yeah, that's very true. Um, luck can kind of go both ways, and sometimes beautiful people can also, you know, go both ways. Yeah. And so as Violet's waiting for her turn to walk onto the parapet and she's getting asked her name, she notes that, um, I've always loved the nights where storms beat against the fortress window, which I thought is interesting because is this her finding comfort in the presence of her mother? Like her mother brings the storms on and she said she's loved the nights where the storms are beating against the window. What do you think? I thought it kind of was more indicative of her signet from later on. Like, she finds comfort in the oh, storm both the things lightning. C- both things could be true. true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, both. They don't necessarily preclude you. It's kind of interesting, too, the way her signet kind of fits in with her mother's. Yeah, compliment. they complement each other. Yeah. So we see that there's more emphasis here on how thorough the records of the scribes are because people are taking names before the cadets cross the parapet and then after they reach the other side, they also take the names. And both of these sets of scrolls down go down to the scribes. Like, what do they do with this information other than create tombstones? Do you think they use this in any other way? No, I think it's just for historical 
data kind of like with the census in a way. In 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 air quotes, historical yeah, data because we all know how they use. <laughs> true. I do like how she says their beloved statistics, which yes, it, to me could like kind of be read both ways because I feel like you know it could be read as a way that she's saying like you know because she's all about that kind of stuff at this, especially at this point like that's her jam, or you could read it in a sarcastic way like you know their beloved statistics. But it's like, who's to say that the scribes haven't been fudging these numbers for years? Oh, that's true. They could be. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, why would they? But I'm just saying, like, nothing that they necessarily put out is true. Yep. So they're supposed to have, like, the utmost respect for fact and truth, but that is just so not the way that it is. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Violet gets asked her name, and she says, oh, Violet Sorengale. And the writer who's taking the name says, as in General Sorengale, I thought she only had one daughter, which I thought was like really interesting. Like, do people not know about Violet? They know about Brennan. They know about Mira, but nobody knows about Violet. I wonder if it's because she's so much younger. I was thinking about this the other day. We know Brennan's the oldest and then there's Mira. Mm -hmm. Mira at this point is 26 and Violet's 20. So there's a six year gap there. Which is a lot. And then, okay, and then how old was Brennan? I don't know if we know. Okay, so he died how many years ago? He died six years ago. Six years ago. And he was already out of the quadrant at that point. Because he had passed along that book to Mira and he was out fighting. So he had to have been a lieutenant, mm-hmm. at least. So you, I would think he's like at least ten years older than Violet. Yeah. But anyways, I just thought that was interesting because, like, she's been living at Basgiath this entire time. Like, how does this person not know who she is? True. Also, I just looked it up, and according to the Empyrean Wiki, based on the timeline, Brennan should be about 29 or 30 years old. Oh, look at how smart we are. (laughs) (laughs) So, Violet notes that they probably think I'm a naturally gifted writer like Mira or a brilliant strategist like Brennan was. They'll take one look at me and realize I'm nothing like the three of them. So she doesn't think she measures up to literally anyone else in her family. Like, the only person that she feels comfortable comparing herself to is her father. Yeah, it's really sad. But what's funny is we realize that throughout this book, she is a gifted writer. Not in the way that you would think, Mm -hmm. because obviously she needs, like, an adaptation to help her ride. And she is a great strategist. So, she stacks up against anyone in her family. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and then, too, once she because trains, she... you know, and kind of builds her body up, she holds her own, like, physically, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, because I'm just thinking about the strategy portion. Like, think of the game where they have, where they go steal that map. That was her idea. It was. So, I don't know. I think it's interesting. So, Violet's waiting to step onto the parapet, And a strong gust of wind kind of knocks her against the wall. And someone behind her says, And you think you'll be able to ride some Sorengale with that kind of balance. I pity whatever wing you end up in. And I know we kind of met Jack in chapter one, but this is our more formal introduction to the wonderfulness that is Jack Barlow. So Jack's name. I mean, it's interesting to me because I looked up the meaning of Jack which is God is gracious. But that meaning to me doesn't apply. And that's the only one I can really find to me. It's, I think it's more worth it to note that like Jack is a fairly common name. Mm -hmm. Like he's, I think supposed to represent kind of like a stereotypical egotistical man who's entering the writer's quadrant. His name doesn't set him apart. He's just, he's just kind of there. And then Barlow means lives on the bear hill. So I don't, his name, I don't think has any, like any underlying hidden deeper meaning, at least that I could find. I don't know if you can find some meaning in lives on the bear hill. No, not really. And that is the Scottish Gaelic meaning. So I'm assuming that that, (laughs) that's what she would have been taking it from. But it does sound like a strong guy's name, like Jack Barlow. That sounds like a physically imposing guy to me. So it works. So before Violet can, like, step onto the parapet herself, Jack lunges forward as if to, like, grab her. So you get a taste here 
of his more murderous tendencies. He is not all talk. Like, he is already ready to back up his threats against the general's daughter. Mm -hmm. Like, he's ready to throw her off. This man is insane. Yeah, just a lot. I do find it funny that he says he pities over wing she ends up in, which to me like says that he also thinks she'll get across, which is kind of weird if you think about it. This also shows, though, that he knows this quote-unquote unauthorized rule that if there's liability to the wing, open season on that cadet. Yeah. So that's just common knowledge. True. Um, so we here get a description of the parapet itself. So the parapet is 18 inches wide. Earlier today, this is a math that actually sent me a picture of a measuring tape that was opened 18 inches wide with her feet in the middle of it just to show how wide it would be, just for a visual perspective, which was useful. I think it helps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, but I thought that was, I thought that was kind of funny, but I mean... It was. <laughs> it, I, to me, it was useful. To... I think it's about okay. So that's about forty six centimeters for anyone who doesn't use inches, which would be <laughs> everyone but Americans. <laughs> <laughs> We're special. <laughs> um, but it, I, I just I found it hard to visualize eighteen inches. Like to me, like I can usually do pretty good with that especially like you know a foot I could tell you you know visualize that but 18 is just such an odd number I just I needed to see it actually there yeah and it was fairly wide uh and Violet's feet are I would think pretty slim Mm -hmm. but I would think it would be a lot harder for someone like Jack to navigate or Zayden because like their feet are much bigger yeah uh, anyways, I don't I don't think it's the width that makes this difficult. We note that the stones are uneven. The mortar in between can, like, cause you to trip. Plus, there's wind, it's raining, and there's a 200-foot drop. So, like, yeah. to me, the, the width is, like, the least of my concern at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it just means that, you know, you have to still be kind of careful with how you're stepping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, what I'm saying is, even if, even if this thing was like five feet wide, if I'm 200 feet up and there are no um, railings, yeah. I'm still being as careful as I could possibly be because there is still a very high chance that I'm going right over the side. It's true. <laughs> okay, so we get our first instance of Violet talking to herself about history to calm herself down in a tense situation. And really, this is just Rebecca Yaros's way of giving us a lot of information that we need to know in a condensed period of time. Like, as few words as possible. It's a convenient way for her to kind of info dump. Exposition. Which I know is, is difficult for a fantasy writer at the very beginning of a series. You're always gonna, gonna kind of get this, like, clunky world building where they're just telling you a whole lot of information. Yeah. So... You kind of just have to work your way through it. I'm so dumb. So we're going to work our way through it together. This is just a lot of geography. This is a lot of geography, okay? So much geography. So uh, the continent itself is home to two kingdoms. They've been at war for over 400 years. So we have Navarre. That's larger. And it's divided into six provinces. So there's Tirandor in the south. So I looked up the meaning of Tyrandor, couldn't really come up with anything, but there is a name Taryn, I'm sure you've heard, T-A-R-Y-N. And it seems like this is where uh, Rebecca Yaros got her inspiration for Tyrion, and so that means Rocky Hill. Oh, that fits. That fits. And so Tyrandor is also the largest province. It shares the borders with Krovla, and Krov in Russian means blood. Oh. I don't know if that's going to come into play, but I thought that was kind of scary. Interesting. So, and this is all within, Krovla's within the Peromial Kingdom, which we discussed on the last episode. So in the east, so we were in the south, now we're moving east. The remaining Peromial provinces of Breivik, and I couldn't find a meaning for this one, but the word itself is reminiscent of like the English word brave. Mm. And then there's Cygnuson, and okay, so Cygnus is the god of balance, represented by a white swan. So that could also come into play here. Yes. 
And then Sengnazen has the Esben Mountains as a natural border. So mountains all around us. Beyond Krovla is the Barrens. And I mean, from the name, I think you can kind of <laughs> figure out what's going on there. Nothing. It's pretty literal. Yeah. So Tirandor was the last of the provinces to swear fealty to King Reginald. And it was the only province to attempt secession 627 years later. So Tirandor secession. This becomes important later in the book. Yes. So Paromio is known for textiles, endless fields of grain, unique crystalline gems capable of amplifying minor magics. I thought this was interesting, Samantha, because endless fields of grain textiles is reminiscent of the Garden of Eden that we discussed, like was the meaning of the name Paromio last yeah. time. Like it's just giving like green imagery, lush imagery. Land of milk and honey. Yes. Whereas Navarre offers ore, timber, deer and elk, which I suppose is probably good for the dragons because they want to eat all the deer and elk. They prefer sheep, I thought. Well, <laughs> I don't think they'd be too picky if it came down to it. Um, it sounds... But it's just more rugged, I think. Yeah, it kind of sounds um, Scandinavian in a way. Or like north you well, know what i mean like like the highland like the highlands i think yeah yeah so there was a trade the trade agreement of resin which is important because resin comes into play later in the book as kind of where they have their like final standoff and that treat trade agreement was signed 200 years ago to ensure exchange of meat and lumber from navarre in exchange for cloth and agriculture from Promiel four times a year at the Athwine outpost, which once again is important to note because that's where Fourthwing gets sent for the war games. Once they get that message from Dane's father. Which just makes the whole thing even more. Um, they empty the Athwine outpost for the war games, which is just crazy considering its importance here. I mean, that's where yes, they do I... all of their trade with Peromiel. I did not, like, clock this. Obviously, at the beginning of the book, when there's an info dump, you're not going to clock it. But this is the only place, mm -hmm. this is the only outpost in which <laughs> Navarre gives food to Peromiel. Like, they, they exchange their meat and lumber for cloth and agriculture. This is the only place in the entire country that they do that. Yeah. So it's just another way of kind of saying, screw you to Peromiel. And only... Like, we're not giving you anything. Right. And it's also only four times a year. So just once a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Once a season, I would assume. Yeah. Which is not much. Like, that's not very often. Yeah. I don't see how that's really sustainable. No, not at all. With, like, especially the agriculture and the meat. And the stones. Like, do they not want these stones at all? But Athabine itself, that's actually the name of a star. A yellow giant star. Really? And that star is known for experiencing growing pains. It's in crisis. Hmm. So I thought that was fascinating. It really is. <laughs> so Violet's going through all this in her head. She's kind of like tripped and stumbled a few places along the way um, on the parapet. But she's like making her way across. I think she's about halfway across. So she turns and looks behind her at Jack. <laughs> well, she can see the rider's quadrant in front of her. She can see Jack behind her. He's stopped. And waiting. So she like walks a little bit further. She turns around again. And she sees Jack <laughs> waiting for the next cadet. And he grabs the boy by the straps of his rucksack and throws the candidate from the parapet. This this boy. Just he'd be crazy. She also notes that like the wind seems to have no effect on his balance. Like he's extremely physically balanced. Yeah, he's a big he's a big boy. Yeah, she says he's stocky, but he's I don't know if that would help or hinder, honestly. He's lot has that he has that core strength. True, true. So after Jack's horrifying murder of that poor kid, uh, Violet gets her ass into gear. She tells us a bit about Tyrandor, which is a very naturally defended province. It's bordered by the Emerald Sea to the west and the Arctile Ocean to the south. I did not look up those names because they're pretty self-explanatory. 
Yep. Emerald Sea. What could that possibly mean? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then she also mentions the Cliffs of Draylor, which also separates Tyrandor from Peromiel. Then she gets hit by the wind again and falls on her left knee. The only reason I mentioned that specifically is because that comes up again after she crosses. She looks down and again notes the height and that it's above a river, which when I look at the map, I think is the Iacobos River, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. She repeats her mantra of, I will not die today, and gets herself back up, which still makes me think of Selena Sardothium. It mm. just does, because she has that mantra. Yep. Jack begins to gain on her, which is just terrifying, given what we just saw, where he just flails that poor kid off. And he would have a much larger stride than she would. Yeah. She probably takes, like, two steps for every one, like, one of his. Yeah. And she knows, like, he's, like, quickly gating on her. And then we also learn about kind of how the cadets are kind of aligned when they're in the quadrant. So we learn about how they have squads, sections, and wings as their different groups, and that strength in each individual person is revered because they're only as strong as their weakest link. Goodbye. I will say, this made, like, absolutely no sense to me because I have no knowledge of military structure. I know Rebecca Yaros does have a lot because she is a military spouse. But I was very grateful for the diagram in, I think, is it an iron flame? There's a diagram yeah. of the... Yeah, they have, like, that kind of, like, section. tree-like thing to show you how it actually yes. works. I was like, this is very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, like, I have a little bit of knowledge of it, but it still was a little confusing as we read through it. I mean, I still get confused, like, with the different names for the different things. Like, you have flame section, and you have claw section. I'm like, wait, mm, what is happening? Tail section. <laughs> yeah, because it's like each wing has different sections. Yes. And then I think in each like, section okay. are squads. Yes. Okay, now I need to look at that chart. <laughs> Bear with me. Okay. In each, there's three sections, claw, flame, and tail. And mm-hmm. then each section has three squads. And each squad mm. is 15 to 20 people. Squads do not have names. They're just squads one, two, and three. Each squad has a leader who all report to the section leader and then the wing leader. But I think the squads, you can earn names. Because like Violet's squad earns like Iron Squad, right? Yes. Because they have the most yeah, people left. for having the most that survive. Which is so terrible if you think about it. So moving on from that, Rhiannon makes it safely across. Yay! Violet continues to hustle across and uses her short height to her advantage since the wind won't knock her down as much. Hopefully. So just tighten down. Jack is gaining on her. He taunts her by telling her that she's a mistake and that she shouldn't have even passed the entrance exam. Which I find it funny that he says that she's a mistake because she's a fucking Soragale. Whether Jack or frankly even Violet likes it or not. He's already heard about the exploits of Mira and was like, awed by her into shutting up. And he has to know that her mother is the commanding general at Bosgith. Or maybe he just thinks he's the only one who deserves to make it across and be a writer and everyone else are just fakers and mistakes. I don't know. I just found that weird. Or he's just an ass. Or that, too. (laughs) I think, honestly, I think he just wants to throw his weight around. Show that he's not scared of anybody. Like, if you're not scared of killing the general's daughter, like, who's gonna mess with you? That's true. That's true. I love Violet Sass, the fuck you will. It just cracks me up. <laughs> Violet Sass is best sass. I wish, I'm sorry. I wish she would have said it louder so that he could hear she that so that he could hear. I know. It. Uh, so she's only like about a dozen feet out and then she almost falls again. She finally gets to where there's walls again, so then she starts kind of she runs. She's like sprints the last, you know, few ten feet because she can hear Jack like charging behind her he lunges for her and misses and he like hits her hip but like she makes it over but the thing is when she does that when she lunges away from him she then like falls a whole 12 inches from the parapet to the courtyard the parapet is raised that's gonna hurt (laughs) you can't tell me that's a soft landing no it's definitely stone (laughs) definitely or at the very least like hard dirt yeah like packed earth. Oh, God. 
So Jack still tries to get her. She spins and she gets him by the balls with her dagger. Fuck yeah. Go Violet. Go Violet. I do love this. Then she quotes the codex to him because, you know, Jack totally cares about the codex. <laughs> I love her. I also think it's funny earlier when Jack is taunting her. It's like, there's no way you pass the entrance exam. Like, part of the entrance exam is written, you dumbass. Like, <laughs> it's more surprising that he passed it, like, <laughs> honestly. I like how he even, like, tries to keep going and her dagger, like, slices through the first layer of his pants. Like, <laughs> she's literally about to I, cut I wish. <laughs> I wish she would have just gone for it. I know. Oh, how things would have been different. I know. <sighs> so she's asked for her name. She gives it, and Violet responds that she's, yes, that Sorengale. The woman says that she's not surprised with that maneuver, which Violet then feels a sense of pride, which is sweet. She's actually proud to be a Sorengale there. She then uses the codex and having everybody else around her to get Jack to back off, barely. Ellip has pointed out that she's officially a cadet and Jack isn't during all of this. It's like yes, a literal like stab of a dagger into him that way. Which is hilarious. It's just justice. I love this moment. Yes. And we also learn here, which kind of comes up later, that we don't do trials here. We just execute. Yes. Which we see later with Amber. There's really not a trial there. It's Mm -hmm. just execution. So Violet then decides to let Jack go instead of slicing his balls off after he promises to follow the rules, which just seems a little naive to me on Violet's part. It's just like, do you promise? That's just kind of how it sounds in my head. I don't know. I don't I, like yeah, that. I, I get that. I get that too. But like, I don't, I don't think she's in that mindset yet. Like six months from now, Violet would not hesitate. I don't think the reality is really sunk in yet. That Because think, think to when she actually kills Jack. I know. I know. Like, it's just. How much that messes her up. I feel like still even at this point though, the are you going to follow the rules? It just. It just feels like a weak and childish thing to say to me, frankly. I don't know, because she places so much stock in the codex and in the rules that I think for her, it's kind of crazy that not everyone else would because she wanted to go to the scribe quadrant where I'm sure they follow the scribe codex or whatever it is to like the letter. Fair. She still should have just sliced his balls off though. Just saying. Yeah. It's naive, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. And then after she lets him down, he knocks into her shoulder on purpose, like a dick, and says that he's going to kill her. And that's how we end the chapter. What a great ending to the chapter. I mean, it does hook you, and I definitely wanted to keep reading right after that, so it did. It does its job. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now we're going to go into what we have renamed here, um, the assembly meeting with some questions from a Discord user, Emily Isabel. So she asks, are either of you scared of heights? How would walking the parapet be for you? Well, I'll tell you, Emily, I would not be in the situation to begin with because I would not have <laughs> gone to the writer's quadrant. <laughs> but if I was like a rebel's kid and I had to go, I... <laughs> I trip on nothing in real life, and the people who know me will agree that I injure myself when there is nothing around to injure myself on. So I would be a Dylan. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would fall off, like, literally with my first step. I can almost guarantee you, if it's raining and it's windy, Kelsey's dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if the weather was fine, I probably would be okay. What if Jack's behind you? That Yeah, that would still be terrifying, but I think... <laughs> I have narrow feet, but I also have very long feet, so I tend to catch them on things without meaning to. Like, I'm the person where the floor could look flat, but if there's like a tiny, almost indiscernible bump, my foot will catch it and make me trip. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I feel like if it was like a night, like without the storm, I would probably be okay. But with the storm, that would be terrifying. Yeah, I wouldn't be okay either way. Kelsey's dead. <laughs> Kelsey Kelsey dies a candidate. I would not be a cadet. <laughs> and then the second question Emily Isbell asked, which is actually really interesting. I didn't think of it. Mm-hmm. She said, Violet gets cut off. She almost falls when she starts talking about the Barrens, where the Venom used to be. 
So she doesn't say the scribe approved version of what the barons are. What do you think that is? Honestly, I think that the scribe approved version of the barons would just be what it's called in the name. Like not there's it's barren. There's nothing there. I think that's what they'd be saying. Yeah, I agree. I think they would just say it's just an uninhabitable desert and a wasteland. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting place. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll see more of it in the future because there's got to be something more to it. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping that in book three, we kind of get out and explore more of the country and what's beyond the country. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are pretty limited. Mm-hmm. So we will move on here to discuss what we have been doing for the last week or two. So I recently started a rewatch of Lost. I haven't watched it in like years and years and years. I forgot just how good the first few episodes are. Have you ever watched it, Samantha? I have not, but I'm going to guess. I know that the ending is disappointing to everybody. So No, it's not disappointing to me. I am the Ago now. I love the ending. I think it's so good. I might get hate mail for that, but I don't care because I stand by that (laughs) controversial opinion. I love the finale of Lost. I don't even care. Fair enough. Haters will hate. (laughs) I know it has um, Mary Um, from Lord of the Rings in it. Dominic Monaghan. Yes. And and I love him. He's so cute. He is cute. And Evangeline Lilly, who was in The Hobbit Mm. as an elf. Yeah, but... So, yeah, I mean, she's iffy. Let's just... She's also Canadian. Is she? Interesting. She is indeed. So as far as what I'm reading, I'm reading The Ashes and the Star-Cursed King by Carissa Broadbent. So I talked about on the chapter one episode how I was reading The Serpent and the Wings of the Night. So this is book two of the Nightborn duet that I'm currently reading. And oh my God, it's so good. It is so good. It's like vampire meets the Hunger Games meets kind of like a Court of Thorns and Roses, like medieval-y time period. It is so good. If you have a Kindle, it's on Kindle Unlimited, please read it. It's like, it's, oh my God, it's so good. I can't rave about it enough. I read it right after I finished Iron Flame (laughs) and it, it was good enough to keep me entertained. So I think that tells you something. Nice. And this past week, I have... Been rediscovering my love for um, 2000s pop punk music. <laughs> so I've been, been revisiting my emo roots. Nice. <laughs> and I've been really enjoying doing it. Lots of My Chemical Romance and Dashboard Confessional. It's been Good great. Good Charlotte? Yeah, obviously. obviously. Blink-182. Yes. <laughs> Good Charlotte was my jam back in the day for that kind of stuff it's so good like it's a genre that's like gone away like who's making music like that right now i don't know other than like other than like follow boy i guess they're still doing their thing yeah anyways what have you been up to so last time i said i was binging the halloween baking championship um since we are past halloween i have decided to start the holiday baking championship I like cooking competition shows, if you can't tell. They're they're kind of my jam. Mm-hmm. Very low stakes, like low pressure. You can just enjoy watching Yeah, it. they're fun. Even like in the, this oh, I to- American I totally one. agree. I mean, Americans, you know, we're known for like, ah, oh, competition. But like. I mean, there will not be a season of Nailed It that I will not watch. <laughs> <laughs> there was one episode of Nailed It where. I don't, I forget what it was, but I literally was cry laughing like my mom and I were watching (laughs) and we had tears streaming down our face because it was so funny. Oh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a holiday one too, but it was too good. When I still had Netflix, I started watching, um, is it cake? Like, is it real or is it cake? (laughs) That one was good. That was fun. And then I am, for reading, I am starting, um... A Promised Land by Barack Obama. <laughs> so, We've just gone completely different directions. Oh, in, in our... I know, I know. Well, what I'm doing is I've taken my Goodreads TBR list and I'm going in order from like when they were added. It's so, like the oldest stuff mm. and then I'm working my way down to the newest stuff. So that's how I'm doing it. I currently have, which I know is probably small compared to a lot of people. In my TBR list, I have 158 books, which I know isn't a lot hmm. compared to most people. However, I just 
kept adding things and I'm still adding things. What I like to do is when I'm listening to a podcast by someone and like a podcast I like to listen to is Maya Bialik's Breakdown. And so if one of the guests that she has on there has a book, usually I'll add their book to my TBR or like, um, stuff mom never told you. They will do a feminist book club. So I'll add whatever book they do to my TBR list. Mm. So it's a lot of random mm -hmm. shit. <laughs> do you ever get worried though? This is a very existential question. I get like so overwhelmed at the thought of there are so many books that I want to read and there's just not enough time and I'll never be able to read all the books and that just overwhelms me. Oh, I have that with so many things. I have that with podcasts. I have that with TV My shows. Impending, like... <laughs> I'm literally 29 years old and I'm thinking about my impending doom. <laughs> there's just so much stuff and then it just keeps coming. Like there's... There's too all much. All the new shows, like all content. the new Marvel stuff. There's too much Marvel stuff. I like Marvel stuff. Don't hate me on that, but there's too much. <laughs> it was fine with just the movies, but now we have like 50 TV shows. I just, it's a lot. <laughs> During, like, I only started watching Marvel stuff uh, right when COVID hit and everyone had to stay home. Yeah. And I was like, what is something that I can watch that will take literally the most amount of time possible? I don't think I'd seen a single Marvel movie up until that point. <laughs> and so I watched literally all of them. Nice. And that's also when I started Grey's Anatomy because I was just looking for something that would take <laughs> physically as much time as possibly. And now I can't stop watching Grey's Anatomy. So, you know. Yeah. I still have not watched Iron Man 2 and I don't really feel the need to. And what is even that one? That's the one with the Russian guy with the electric arms. Yes. I've... And Elon Musk is in it. Skip it. Yeah. Skip it. I've seen the scene with him, <laughs> which, whatever, that know that sounded weird. And barf. He's so bad. I do enjoy them. Like, I think they kind of like bag on him in his scene, which is hilarious. <sighs> also, Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie. I don't care. Hate me if you want. Definitely. It is a Christmas movie. It all takes place around Christmas. There's Christmas throughout the whole thing. Yeah. If Die Hard can be a Christmas movie, Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie. And Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is also a Christmas movie. It really movie. is. I don't know why. It just is. <laughs> <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban is a Halloween movie. Yes. Philosopher's Stone is a Christmas movie. It's true. It's just the way the world. And Nightmare Before Christmas is both. I watch it for both. Okay, so we somehow got from a promised land by Barack Obama <laughs> to Philosopher's Stone. Is there anything else that you have going on? Yes. <laughs> See, we're just fun like that. So my husband and I, mostly him, it's his business. I'm just helping. We are opening a cat cafe in our city. So we are, we got keys on November 1st and um, today is November 14th for reference. And we are working to get it ready to where we can kind of have like kind of a pop-up event basically for Small Business Saturday, which is next weekend, November 25th exciting yeah we still have a lot to do we don't have access to most of our space yet because of repairs that are being made and whatnot so we just kind of have like the front room so that's why it's more of a pop-up mm. type thing but so what will you be offering at your cafe so uh we'll have shelter cats from to our local shelters um, we have the Animal Protective League, and then we also have the Forever Home Feline Ranch. So one of them we'll get from, and then we're going to have drinks and pre-made goods from other local businesses because we don't mm. want to make things on site because health department, that's a whole that's other right. set of regulations that, quite frankly, we don't want to deal with. Yeah, that's So fair. we'd rather just have other people make it, and then we'll just resell it. <laughs> Yeah. There's not a lot of, like, convenience-type stores downtown. I live in the capital of, of my state, and our downtown is... It's getting better, but it's a little surprisingly sparse. Mm. It basically shuts down on Sundays. Nobody's open on Sunday. It's... A, a, yeah, that's our downtown, too, and I also live in the capital of my province. Yeah, it's frustrating. Like, there's one place that's open, and it's a bar, which is fine. Um, it also is the bar that's going to be across the street from us. So 
We're going to be doing a collaborative yeah. brew with them, actually. I'm very excited for it. We're going to make a Hefeweizen because I like Hefeweizens. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> so now we are going to be discussing Iron Flame Connections. Um, but before we do that, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you're listening to us because that is truly the best way to help us and get our name out there. The more ratings, reviews we have, the higher up we go on the charts, and we really appreciate it. You can find our Instagram at Readers Quadrant Podcast, or you can email us at readersquadpod at gmail.com with any queries or questions you might have. And be sure to join our Discord. A link will be posted on Instagram and it is like such a fun place to be. There's all kinds of discussions. Like you talk about your pets, you can talk about food you're making, you talk about what you're, how you're working out. It's just a lot of fun. So join us on there. Yeah, you could also post a comment and end up mentioned on our podcast. Mm-hmm. You can end up in the assembly meeting. Yeah. Anyway, warning, warning, warning. We will now be discussing any connections from this chapter to Iron Flame. If you have not yet read Iron Flame, this is your last chance to stop listening. And please come back next week. Okay, so I'll start us off. So from the Variety article that was released right around the release date of Iron Flame, Rebecca mentioned that like those tingly feelings that Violet gets when Zayden's looking at her. It's not because they're mates, because it seems to me in this universe, the only mates that exist are in the dragon species. Like, humans can't be mates. That's just the vibe that I get. Yeah, and I think the mates that they talk about isn't, like, the mates that we see in other fantasy. I think it's more like the traditional, Mm. like, penguins. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, how they have their one Um, mate, you know? Yeah. So when I noted at the beginning that Violet can feel Zayden's stare like it's burning the side of her face. Like, I feel like that's just like the start of this like mind, like, like they have this connection, like his intrinsic reading of intentions or whatever that he has. Yeah, I think so too. I think he was maybe trying to see if she is a person like her mother or if she's like truly a good mm-hmm. person because he's trying to evaluate yeah. for if she does manage to make it across. Yeah. Okay, so then we can also see at this point that Jack appears to be normal. Yes. So he's not yet channeling Venom powers as far as we can tell here. Do you think that's accurate? Yes, because, um, which I was going to note in my half, his eyes are specifically noted as being Arctic blue. Isn't it interesting that... Even right at the beginning of this book, even in the last chapter, and when we were talking about how Zayden's eyes are mentioned to be onyx flecked with gold, and we get uh, Jack's eyes are arctic blue, like so much significance placed on the eyes, and we didn't even know the reason until the end of Iron Flame. Yeah, that's true. Where it's all turning red. (laughs) I need to watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) That, That is a really good movie. So the next point I have is that so the two kingdoms have been at war two, two kingdoms have been at war for four hundred years, so we know that Andarna uh, has been asleep, like waiting to hatch before the kingdoms were at war. Cause it's been over six hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that there there was a point then that they were cooperating on this issue. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder how much she knows of what's happening. I mean, we know that she could hear the elders to like some extent, yeah. but like how much did she hear or know? Yeah, I don't know. And then my last point to connect to Iron Flame. So Peromeo has unique gems for minor magic. We see this come into play in Iron Flame with the runes and stones and all of that stuff. It's just interesting that it's mentioned in chapter two of Fourth Wing. Yeah, that's like some serious foreshadowing <laughs> that I did not notice yeah, until... Just a, th- um, ju- just a throwaway line. I know. It wasn't until we were doing our notes for this chapter where I saw that and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right there. Okay. <laughs> That's all I have. So what I had was, like we talked about, Jack's eyes being known as Arctic Blue. So we'll have to keep an eye out. Ha. An eye out. Uh, for if that changes later on. Good one. <laughs> that was not even on purpose. <laughs> um, she, like we said in the main part of the episode, there's the Cliffs of Draylor, uh, which we will 
definitely see again in a big way. Which, side note, the whole thing of making the flyers cross over to simulate being on the parapet is bullshit. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when What's-Her-Face fell and died, Lu- Luella yeah, or whatever, Luella. I was like, oh. It was so sad and unnecessary. Sad. <laughs> unnecessary. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I wish, um, another thing I have is I wish we could see inside Zayden's head for his reaction once he saw that she officially crossed the parapet on her own, since that meant that he had to hold up his end of his bargain with Lilith. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what and his thoughts before, were probably like, oh shit, now I gotta protect this bitch, god yeah. damn it. <laughs> and before anyone asks, yes, Samantha and I will be doing a Reader's Codex episode about the Zayden's point of view bonus chapters that were in the holiday edition of Fourth Wing. Yes. We just haven't done it yet, but it will be coming. And then one th- another thing that popped into my head when you were talking earlier about Jack's name meaning, you said that his last name mm. means lives on the bare hill. It kind of made me think mm-hmm. of like once he's venom, like how they draw from the ground and it kind of kills all the vegetation oh. and everything. Honestly, it just made me think of The Hills Have Eyes. I have not seen that. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> and he's scary. You know, connections. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so that just kind of... <laughs> it just kind of made me think of... No, that makes sense. That, you know, with his last There name. is such a nature connection with the venom that we really don't know anything about yet, so... Maybe it'll be... We'll see where it maybe goes. Maybe it'll turn out to be one of those things where they're not actually bad. They just happen to channel differently and it'll be one of those, are we the fatties situation. <laughs> they just, <laughs> just misunderstood. <laughs> they're fighting for their God. lives out there. <laughs> okay, I think that's everything that we have. Thank you all again so much for listening. We really can't tell you how much your support means to us. Like honestly, the highlight of my day these last this last week has been watching our listener numbers go up and then Samantha and I have a little freak out every time it gets over another hundred. We really do. We just have a little celebration. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so fun. Thank you so much. Um and we'll see you in a couple of weeks for our chapter three episode. Remember, the right way isn't the only way. We would like to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of his song, The Pyre, for our intro and outro music.